Hello, I'm Billy Groom, your host of All About Animals Radio, and today I have with me Leaf Cox, and he's, he's just got a wealth of um, success and, and advocacy under his belt, um, so I'm just going to pop right in. He's um, Well, Leaf, you lead a number of organizations, and you had a lot of programs all under conservation for human and non-human animal the environment and for that reason I just am so honored to have you today on this show and to be able to chat with you about everything that you're doing and I know that you're super busy so thank you so much for joining us. You're most welcome Billy it's great to be here thank you. So you're on your way to Sumatra Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing there and what you guys have going on there? Oh it's just a multitude of things. The, the big picture <laughs> is, of course, <laughs> is we're, we're, before it's too late in the next decade, we're, we're, we're trying to save complete functioning rainforest ecosystems of the right type, shape and size of rainforest to take orangutans, elephants, tigers, the other biodiversity and the indigenous human community through the extinction crisis. And it's got to be the right type, shape and size. And, and we only got the next decade to do this. Otherwise, it'd be too late. There may be rainforest after 10 years, but the rainforest ecosystems be too small, fragmented to survive and will collapse on in on itself, environmentally collapse. And, and in addition, that the um, population of endangered species and, and the amount of land for the indigenous communities will be too small for them to survive also. So we're, we're living in this most important decade in human history when we're dealing with a larger picture of saving the planet, climate change. But that's intrinsically linked, and there's feedback loops with our work to save the orangutan and the other species because um, saving the rainforest is, is probably one of the most cost-effective ways we can mitigate climate change. So And what is the, the big... That, that's there. huge. I mean, right there, that just there's so many things going through my mind as far as it, it there's this large picture as you started out saying but then that also can be broken down into to so many other parts in particular um it's it's obvious that in order to save a species we need to save their their natural habitat and right now the orangutan is um it's a critically endangered species yes they are that's is that correct? correct? Yes, yes. And is that because their environment is at risk and, and also poaching, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, with, with all the critically endangered species, especially megafauna, the main game is always enough habitat. If you don't have enough habitat, the species can't exist in, in numbers large enough for that population to survive and they'll collapse in on itself. So let's go back to the rainforest. Mm-hmm. What what would be sorry to interrupt? You you have just a, a little second of a lag there, so I'm just going to get used mm-hmm. to that as we go through. <laughs> mm-hmm. What would be the the biggest uh, danger to the rainforest? What's causing the rainforest? Mm-hmm. The, the the primary problem is the destruction of the rainforest and its conversion to unsustainable monocultures such as palm oil and pulp paper and rubber as three examples. And so th- these monocultures not only obviously destroy the rainforest and therefore kill the orangutan, tigers, elephants and displace the indigenous communities, 
but they're unsustainable. So they will collapse in 50 to 60 years time, leaving an economic as well as environmental wastelands for all of us. Okay, so your projects over there, are they providing other options and solutions or are, is it just a matter of don't, just don't do this? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the, the first thing is to say that, um, you know, this is not about the environment versus the economy. It's about a sustainable environment which gives a sustainable economy that benefits all, including future generations. Perfect. And so it's, so it's not one of these win-lose situations, you know, we need, you know, and it's about a few greedy people destroying the planet and the mm -hmm. environment here for short-term profit for a few. So, mm -hmm. and it's about us um, protecting enough rainforest so we can, the endangered species can survive this, this um, um, extinction crisis. But also we work with the indigenous communities to support them where their um, ways of life, which have been sustainable over centuries, are no longer sustainable because the vast majority of their ancestral land has been taken away by big multinationals. So we work with to support them so their children are stop starving, as an example, educating their children, you bring in health services, but then develop agricultural systems under the rainforest canopy so they once again can prosper and become affluent and, and um, into the future. And how are they, how is the response to you? Are you and, or your organizations and your group in general? Mm -hmm. Well, for the people who are making a lot of money um, out of destroying <laughs> the, the, the future not, of our planet. That's sort of obvious. And they often have a lot of economic influence and a lot of political influence because, you know, our democracies um, all over the world tend to be um, purchased by those which have money. So we don't living in true democracies. Um, no. and, 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 and so there is a, a huge amount of problems. But what we can do is um, have synergy and win-win solutions for the local people so they prosper. And, and, and of course, the major synergy is with future generations. Um, we have eaten to the capacity for our planet to support future generations. So they're, they're living in a more impoverished, more dangerous um, environment than, than we've ever experienced. And they've been robbed. And of course, yes. um, we, we, we have a lot of support from increasingly educated younger people um, who obviously have a, a vested interest um, in uh, in the work that we're doing to provide a kinder, more sustainable, more economically affluent um, planet for all. So do the indigenous cultures see the, the immediate and long-term value for themselves or are they brainwashed by some of the larger corporations? Mm -hmm. There's certainly brainwashing from larger corporations and influence because, you know, they do try to manipulate people to um, make decisions against their own interests. And we see that, you know, all over the world where, you yes. know, where yeah. political people get people to vote against their own economic interests through, through manipulation. And so it's not a unique yes. situation. True. About the immediate issue, for example, in Booker Tigapulu, where I'm going next week, 
the children were malnourished and not going to school, um, you know, and they couldn't learn because they weren't getting enough nutrients. Um, they weren't naming the children till six years old because most of them were, were dying. Um, and oh so my goodness. we've done, so we're providing food, two meals a day for all the children. Um, we're educating children, providing scholarships for high school and education. So unlimited education as far as they can go. And one's already in university. We provided a midwife. Um, we were developing um, um, women empowerment through um, supporting women's groups. And then, yeah, so we're doing a whole bunch of things. It's providing immediate support, which obviously the community welcomes. Now, where the difficult part is, well, they, 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 we're dealing with two Indigenous communities in this particular ecosystem, the Rangrimba hunter-gatherers and Talak Malakuban slash agriculture. Now, both these systems have, have been sustainable over centuries. They're only unsustainable now because the vast majority of the land is gone. So if you continue to do hunting-gathering and slash and burn, they will now destroy the remaining environment themselves. Not their fault. Right. But what, what we know is, although adapting to the environment through culture is, is far more powerful and reactive than by natural selection alone. And that's why intelligent species such as humans and orangutans and elephants, and three examples, primarily adapt to the environment through culture. But there is a limit of its ability to change. And so what you find is, for example, when you have a culture, which is in the, the economic and, and social environment change very rapidly, that culture becomes dysfunctional. And we see that yes. all over the world, indigenous communities, environment change. Culture can change, but it can't change quick enough to adapt to, to these very aggressive, quick changes. Um, and so the indigenous okay. communities of Booker T. Pulu are not, um, are still um, subject to the same problems we have with uh, adapting culture, human cultures all around the world. And so we have to sensitively move them, doesn't make sense in a way from, you know, from the, the systems of living uh, um, now to a system of living which is sustainable. Um, right. And so that's difficult, and it's difficult yep. for humans, and we see that all over all of the planet. Um, but we have to do it because, unfortunately, and we shouldn't have to do it. <laughs> we should be able to just, you know, say, no, just live as you've been doing for centuries and, you know, provide the support, and, if, you know, and you change when, if and when you want to change. Unfortunately, um, that you know that beautiful utopian idea is is is, is no longer available to uh, us and them, and so it's about then over quite a long period of time, helping them and slowly moving them um, to the more sustainable um, systems. For example, providing um, economics like shade rubber. Um, um, jungle, um, vanilla, um, cocoa, and coffee under the rainforest canopy for cash crops, and also okay. <coughs> um, training them on, on regenerative agricultural systems um, for their um, fruit and vegetables that they grow to support mm -hmm. themselves so they don't have to continue to slash and burn. So we have to sensitively and take time to progress them through this while we're supporting their immediate health and economic needs. So it's a long-term process and it's not easy and as you, as you can imagine, but um, it, it, it's something that is going to be of, of uh, benefit to them and, and ensure their long-term prosperity.
And what is the population approximately that you're talking about when you're when you're talking about these people? How many? And mm -hmm. and how much of a landmass do they cover? Mm -hmm. um, well, the ecosystems we all try to save are about always about two hundred thousand hectares of rainforest. Because below that, you're not you're not going to have enough rainforest for the rainforest to survive. Because rainforest reduces the ambient temperature. It um, it, it provides a lot of rainfall, you know, and there's, right. there's fringe effects, there's edge effects on rainforest. So you have up to 35 to 70% of the biodiversity loss one kilometer from the edge of the rainforest. Yeah. And so just saving patch of the rainforest or bits of rainforest doesn't work. You got to save complete no. functioning ecosystems. Right. And even in the book of Tigpuli, where we're working, while we try to secure and restore a lot of forest, because we have to restore a lot of forest to stabilize this ecosystem we started a sea lang honey business with the indigenous community where they were, we were getting them getting them to half of the honey in a sustainable way and then we're getting it to stores in jakarta and we're selling it at a premium making money but then because as the rainforest has disappeared around the ambient temperature has dropped by a few, uh, just a few degrees which has killed off the bees which are very sensitive and therefore the business has collapsed <laughs> so we have wow. you know these the, yeah. What I call the feedback loops with the um, climate change causing more droughts, um, rainforest doing so. The feedback loops basically have to be stopped and and, and reversed, and so we have to um, so say these large ecosystems. And within that, there's you know let's say um, approximately uh, two thousand um, people of, of indigenous communities can survive in these ecosystems. Okay. Um, but one of the things, of course, we're doing um, what and 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 we need to transfer in them. But also the wonderful win-win situation is once we empower women and women are often the key to conservation because intuitively understand conservation better than the male mind, long term social outcomes rather than win lose uh, competitive outcomes. Um, we find women all over the world everywhere naturally choose to have less babies once they're empowered. So that's the that's a great relief on the ecosystem. And once now we're educating the children and giving opportunities for affluence, a lot of them, you know, um, go, like we said, we've got two in high school, one in university, educating the other. A lot of them may decide they don't want to live in the jungle. They may want to, that's fine, that's wonderful, but they can also become, you know, doctors and lawyers and engineers and get other jobs in the city and, you know, and come back and visit mum and dad when they want to. So what we... So and they can make it's, it's, a, a change and make a difference from where they are and from what the professions that they choose to undertake. Exactly. So my, my, my the fundamental philosophy underpins it is all good makes good. So women's empowerment, looking after children, education, um, develop working sensitive communities, saving orangutans, saving elephants, all this good works together to a, a great outcome there's no downside to good the only downside that can happen when doing good is when you leave somebody behind i don't believe we if we're going to progress in this planet or in these ecosystems if you leave any being behind right, you 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 will not succeed and so it has to be a holistic plan where yes. animals the environment the communities and a long-term economic future of indonesia need to be considered 
in in these win-win situations. So um, we have well, we can't leave any living being behind. That's right, because as you mentioned earlier, there's that symbiotic relationship where if one part of it is out of balance, it's going to have this cyclical effect. It, it, exactly. I mean, you know, because you know, you know, indigenous community love durians, you know, and of course yeah. the major food disperser of of durians are orangutans, which you know spreads the seeds around and shores regular trees, you know, um, you know. So you you could just everything is interlinked, if that makes sense, you know. In yes. in in, in, in um, and so. You know, the people destroying the planet like to let us think that these win-lose situations where we have to, you know, make these decisions, you know, and it's not the case. Yes, it's they're the very case. linear. Exactly. Where the reality yes. is, is we have a future where all beings uh, and their species prosper and survive and, and, and we live a better future or we continue this win-lose idea and compete against each other and we all go down. Um, and, right. and, and, you know, and that's kind of, you know, the, you know, you know, the um, very short-term win-lose, you know, toxic masculinity, I think it's often I calls, you know, idea, doesn't make sense, um, we, we, which, is, which has really been failing us over the last couple hundred years. And unless we, we correct that now, um, yeah, we're, we're not going to get to the future that we all need to get to. Change is, change is hard for humans. It, it, they're automatically, they're very quick to, how does this affect me? And we can't have this and, and we, we, we can't have change unless they're, they see this immediate right now benefit, which for those people that are destroying, it, it's money, it's the immediate money. It's that immediate benefit that is and and so to take that and like what you said to to work together to say okay it's not that you can't do what you're doing but let's do it in a way that is sustainable and doesn't have these negative effects these long term that type of change can be more challenging for those people because they see it as a lot of work <laughs> or more money and more effort to make less money and that that is would you say a, lo a lot of what uh what you're hoping to not fight against but unfortunately it can appear that way yeah exactly the future we're offering is actually easier with and more yes. affluent so it's, it's like win-win exactly. situation but as you highlighted change for humans is hard we're not very good at it and we normally resist it now, and of course, you know, this is why it's all about love and connection and empathy and listening, you know. And so those, you know, you know, those um, those are the ways of getting people to change. People think we can get people to change. You know how you've got those keyboard warriors on the Internet, you know, I'm going to insult somebody and, you know, and make them look small. And that's got obviously going to change them. No, that gets harder than the position. That's just your ego wanting to feel superior by criticizing yes. another. If you really want to do change and good, you have to have love and empathy and connection, you know, and support to, you know, and give people the room and listen to them to allow them um, to change. And that's the way we make meaningful change. I think what Martin Luther King said, you know, like, hate can only create a right hate, 
So if you, even though the people destroying the planet, even the people have different views, there's love and empathy and respect that will open the doors for us to make that meaningful change that we, um, we want to ha have. That's very well said. And it uh, seems as though non-human animals seems to have uh, captured that and embraced that <laughs> philosophy more easily than than humans, which is why I, getting back to orangutans, this is why I, I work cognitively with dogs and it always amazes me how people are so amazed at what dogs can compute and achieve. You, just even simple things of, people are so amazed that a dog remembers what home that he lives in or how to get out of a kennel or how to open a door. I mean, they watch, they compute, they have cognitive skills, they have emotions, they have feelings, they have uh, goals and they change, they develop, they grow their brain, they learn from each other. So I'm reading about on, on you. So anyone listening to this people, you have to go to the website, to, to Leaf's website and all this will be in the show notes and research the information that is there because it's extremely interesting uh, on top of what you're listening to in this show. But um, these orangutans, they actually are 97% DNA similar to ours and, and they're incredibly intelligent. And like you said earlier, they can adapt, humans can adapt but to a certain point. And they also have to have the elements there in order to do so. So they have to have their environment to do so. So one of the ones, the points I wanted to hit on is um, taking the, taking the babies, the, the poachers who are taking the babies. Is, is that what they're doing? And they're selling them to people who want these as pets. I mean, I'm, I'm an expert in companion animals. That does not strike me as an appropriate companion animal, as much as I would love to work with their brain, because <laughs> that cognition just, just interests me. Um, I guess I can talk to Gary Shapiro about that. But um, this, who, who, tell us about that. Who, who thinks that this is a good idea? Who, who are they, who's mm -hmm. taking these babies and who are they selling them to? Yeah, I mean, you know, every situation is unique, but you know, in general, but right. it is that the the rainforest is destroyed for not unsustainable agriculture, such as palm oil. The orangutans yes. are then starving and are killed as agricultural pests as they try to you know find some food in the palm oil plantation or a um, village's okay. garden, and then then the babies from being, once a mother is killed then i've got okay they've got a baby orangutan do we kill it and eat it or is it worth something to sell on illegal pet trade? so the usual answer is yes it's probably worth more to sell the baby and so that's how they enter the um, illegal oh. pet and it tends to okay. be the big big um sources them are the middle east a lot of rich people in the middle east keeping orangutans um, it's um, in, let's say, in Thailand and Laos, for example, they have these orangutan shows, you know, like, you know, like um, oh, boxing entertainment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, yeah. But also, okay. also in Indonesia, because it's illegal to keep an orangutan, and it's been illegal to keep an orangutan since 1958, it actually is a prestige to have one. 
um, because what you're telling anybody, come, you know, you come around to the person's house uh, and he's got an orangutan in the backyard, what he's telling you is I'm above the law, you know, and that's, mm. so it's, ironically, the fact that it is illegal makes it often makes it prestigious to hold orangutans. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, they can only be cute and handleable to a certain age and then they get stuck in, you know, a, a small cage out the back and, you know, fed, you know, a, a bad diet. So it always ends horribly. Um, of course. You know, of course. It can't end the well. Whole, There's like, no the whole possible thing way. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. um, yeah, unfortunately, the rainforest is still disappearing and therefore orangutans are still available to be killed and, this, and you know, one in five orphans who do have their mothers killed um end up surviving long enough that um our rescue teams can rescue them and start the orangutan um rehabilitation and release program to get them back into the wild um, not only for their sake as persons who deserve to be free in a wild um but also for their critically endangered species because once your species become critically endangered every individual is a genetic resource that helps that species survive Right, and so when they're put back into the wild, they're going to reproduce, and that's going to do they. Re Let's talk about the rescue that you have. Let's talk about what's going mm -hmm. on there, and what and what you mm -hmm. have, and where that is. Sh share that with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we have rescue teams, and you know, visually that looks like a four-wheel drive truck <laughs> and <you> know, <laughs> and four <laughs> and four brave young Indonesians, you know, and they okay. they go around. You know, look. You know, using um, in, information from informants or the local forestry officials will um, tell them about an orangutan, and then you know, and then they, then they'll go out with the forestry officials, and forestry officials provide the the legal kind of you know um, basis, you know, for the confiscation, right. and then then um, they will then um, take the baby back to one of our rescue centres. Okay, um, and there, then it would be um, go through the, the, the four building blocks of orangutan rehabilitation, getting their physical health sorted out, getting rid of the human diseases, making you know, um, de dealing with the malnutrition, dealing with the injuries that they've occurred to, and then the next building block is their mental health, recovering their poor little mind which have been broken um, mm -hmm. through the horror just you know that they've experienced you know, and giving them love and attention and security. And the next building block is social skills, getting to interact and being with other orangutans and learning how to learn from other orangutans. And then the final building block is through jungle school and then soft release, learning those forest skills so they can once again um, have enough um, of their culture reinstated. It's never going to be fully um, reinstated but having enough of the cultural understanding um, so that they can survive and start um, moving again to be sustainable in the rainforest. And that that's, makes a lot of sense. It, it, is a, it sounds like a wonderful rehabilitation program. Should I assume that that's going to be different for each individual? Or is there a specific, is there a, a, a general time length that that commonly takes per individual or is it dependent a lot i mean the health if you break that down which you did very well i mean the health one is going to be different in time length of time 
simply because they're going to have different health issues as soon as they arrive. And then the, um, the mental and emotional rehabilitation with any species, including humans, is different individually. Is that true as well there that you're finding? No, 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 great. That's very insightful because I normally get asked how long does it take and people ask and want to know. Three years, right? <laughs> Every orangutan, three years, it goes through the process. And, of course, as you you intuit with the understanding, know they're all persons. They all have individual personalities, individual histories, individual outcomes. And so each each one takes a, a different time. Some of them, you know, they're just like, well, don't really need much, just, you know, they're, they're okay. Others take years. Some, uh, you know, we're getting to at the end are, are never going to go back. They're, they're, we're trying, but then um, they're just going to die if we let them alone. And what we're doing with them, and we're building them now, is these open rainforest enclosures. So basically, patch of the rainforest with electric wires around them to keep them in so they're safe. Um, How big would that be? And, and, um, usually, we're looking about a hectare. Okay. Of rainforest. And, um, and of course, especially in Sumatra, there's tigers, so it keeps the tigers out because, by the way, the tigers are lots of human elephant, human tiger conflict at the moment because swine flu is going around and killing all the pigs, and the tigers are starving, then coming out and into the villages and then causing lots of problems. And of course, they come into our rescue center in Sumatra, and so we have to protect the orangutan from the starving tigers which is another whole conservation issue yeah. whole, whole podcast, but, um, I was just we, thinking that <laughs> but, what we're, but what we're doing with the orangutans in, in in these um is they're going to live out their life there in the rainforest um but being fed and supported with medical care and food but we're going to allow them to breed and so the offspring will grow up naturally in the in these rainforest habitats and then those those orangutans' babies will be the, the top candidates to now to transfer to the release sites to start um, supporting the populations. So we have this win-win situation where their immediate welfare outcome of the orangutans can't go back to wild. They've met in the best way possible, living in a rainforest, but just support it. And then their genes are not lost to their um, in quickly endangered species that, yes, they may never go back to the wild, but we're going to make sure their genes go back to the wild through the offspring. And yeah. so, again, I always highlight the, the, the right outcome provides win-win solutions. And in this case, there's always win-win solutions that need to be met for the individual and the species. You know, mm. if not, oh, you know, like a lot of, you know, oh, yeah, you, can't, you know, some to your pure scientist conservation oh you know don't worry about the individuals just let them die just save habitat you know because you know that's far more effective and of course no that's not yeah. the that's not the best that outcome the best outcome it. is is where the it, the individual is respected as important as well as you know the whole environment and the whole species and that yeah, provides the most effective outcome there has to be the ability for them to flourish naturally at some point. There has to be that handoff. So in those areas, that rehabilitation, how much human hands-on, or is that where you're sort of letting them on their own, having provided them the skills through your rehabilitation program, is that where they are decreasing the human interaction and starting to develop on their yeah. own 
Yeah. Go ahead. It's really up to, up to the orangutan because that's what we call exactly. a soft release. Exactly. Hard release is like, hey, you're lucky, you're on it, your own. We get some point, you know. <laughs> See you later. Soft that's the hail mary <laughs> that just doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the soft release is look, we're going to yeah. softly remove you to. And now, now, now they they learn about the environment in three ways. One is their technicians teach them teach them how to, you know, say they find termites, help them make a nest, help them find different foods. Then the, the, the second way is they learn off other orangutans. Oh, that orangutan knows how to make a nest. Oh, I'll watch him and now I know how to make a nest. That orangutan knows how to get that food. I'm going to watch that one. That's why social health is so important because without social health, they're not going to get that learning of all the other orangutans. And the third one is because orangutans are the most intelligent being that shares a planet. They just figure things out on their yes, own. Yes, they do. You know, you go, oh, no one taught them that. And they didn't learn that anyway. They just figured it out. So those are the three ways that they slowly develop their um, you know, toolbox of survival yes. techniques. And, of course, it gets to a stage and, and you know, we have like um, it's not a perfect formula, um, but it, it, it's one that is, I guess, practical is they have to make a night nest every night, otherwise obviously it can be eaten by tigers. Um, they have to find um, the key food sources they require non-fruiting season, you know, otherwise they're not going to survive the non-fruiting area. And they have to have, know at least 120 different food sources, you know. And when, when they kind of have that criteria and they survive three non-fruiting seasons, we say, okay, look, we pretty much think you, you, you're okay now we don't have to invest a lot of energy into you now we need to focus on other orangutans who, who need our care that's brilliant that's brilliant so they, they eat 120 or they can eat or should eat 120 different no, food source it, it's not that good in that sense is they know we know they probably have over 2,000 different food sources yeah and we know not only they use yeah. the product, they, they use medicine, they use medicine for malaria, they use topical medicines to, to, for, 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 for cuts and diseases. And what the interesting thing is, is we're discovering not only using food sources, but medicines, but when we're trying to figure out what those medicines are for, because we're seeing the rank tanks use it, you just ask the local community, indigenous community, oh, yeah, yeah, we use it so and we use it for the same thing. <laughs> you know, yeah, two yeah, they learned from them. The yeah, forest. that's yeah. Well, I don't know if they learned. They maybe independently learned. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or who's watching who? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but um, but you know, you, so it, it so now and they learn it through culture. So intelligent animals predominantly adapt through culture, and um, not so smart animals adapt through natural selection. You know, and so they get these vacant veins, long maternal periods, program the culture. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the knowledge or the resources to program the full culture of orangutans back in the wild. That's why saving wild orangutans, saving the wild culture, saving the wild environment is number one. It's yes. all behind the eight ball once we enter um, rescue, re uh, rehabilitation and release. So Proactive prevention is, is always key. Proactive prevention exactly. is, yeah, yeah. So exactly. once again, getting back. Is, yeah, if, if you know 120, it looks like you're, you, 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 know, you, you know enough, you know enough to get by, you know, and then, then the idea is over time, you know, their culture and understanding will grow, 
you know, and, and go back to the, you know, the, the scale it was before they were, um, you know, the mothers were killed and they were stolen from the rainforest. And that's, that's what needs to stop. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is a huge undertaking that it seems as though you have this incredible ability to make it just work. It, it, it has its steps and I'm sure that that was not easy and I'm sure it's an ongoing process and ongoing learning and you're heading there, which must just be so exciting. Um, and all these projects, they, you're learning from each other and learning as you go. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing, but I'm going to hand it over to you because I would love for you to give some tips to the listeners on some <clears throat> advocacy or, or projects that they can take on or how they can help your projects just on a, maybe a, a smaller scale or a local mm -hmm. or global. If you have something that you can share with your wisdom, that would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, going back to, you know, the description of myself and my work and then moving forward is I know very little and can do very little. Right. And that's that's actually the nature of humanity and human beings and ourselves. We don't know as much as we think we do and we can do a lot less than we think we can do. And so, yes, um, you know, it seems I've achieved a lot, but my only achievement is my ability to collect advice to mm. connect with others does make sense and work with others, you know, and, and organize and, and, and connect. So, so with I've achieved things or seemingly achieved things, not because of my skill or abilities and knowledge is because I've been able to collectivize that skill and knowledge and ability and, and um, efficacy through a larger group. So, and I would actually argue the only way human beings have ever achieved anything is to collectivization. We never achieve things as individuals. And the example I give, for example, if you want to make money, you can get a job and make a bit of money. If you want to make real money, every capitalist knows you've got to collectivize your capital into a company and make money. Yeah. And similarly, if you're a trade unionist or you want, you know, you want to increase the um, the welfare and work conditions of your people as individuals, never going to happen. You've collectivized in a union, you're going to have some progress. That's just how we work and that's our effectiveness. So it goes on to now the listener. So as an individual, you know, I think we've been sold this pup, you know, um, where we've been saying act locally, think globally, um, you act as an individual. Nah, that's why carbon footprint was, was actually created by British Petroleum, the one of the hundred companies which caused 9% climate change because it basically just asked you to go away and make your little changes at home and think you're going to make a difference. You're not. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things, and we all should do those things as a moral integrity of our own self. However, if you're going to make meaningful change, we need to collectivize. Yeah. And so the orangutan project, as an example for your listeners, provide a particular opportunity to collectivize. Now you can use that if you're if you want to collectivize your capital, i.e., if you want to give us donations. Right? <laughs> we collectivize that money yeah. into a way and affect meaningful change. And we report back on that meaningful change. And that meaningful change is how much forest we're protecting, how many orangutans were saved, how many people we're looking after. 
So measuring the real on the ground outcomes, you know, and, and, and you collectivize like that. The other way is a collectivize is to get together with your community. And a lot of our we got supporters, you know, all over doing um, quiz nights, you know, um, doing market stalls, you know, and working together, you know, to fundraise. So using their labor rather than the capital, but, but collectivizing that. Um, in, in a way that can make meaningful change. So those are the ways I think we can all work together. And, but the wonderful thing is there's always this win-win situation because moving from caring about ourselves to caring about others, you know, um, and, and buying into a vision of a better humanity and, and, and a greater future beyond our own selfish needs actually makes us ha happy, healthy and prosperous. So there's always a win-win situation. So, um, you know, and, and so that's a wonderful thing about this work. So e even when we're talking about fundraising, we're always after um, not just, yeah, we'll take your money and your time. Thank you very much. No, it's about making you happier too and healthier, more prosperous. And, and a, a life of selfless service to others it's not a life of sacrifice. It's a life of beauty and reward um, beyond what maybe some of your listeners can understand yet, but they will understand if they start undertaking that journey. That is so well said. I, and that's where I was thinking, for, for one, it's a fulfillment that you can't really understand unless you engage in the journey. And once that journey starts, and, and I like what you're saying about collectivism, it because when people start, working together and some people say, well, I don't, I don't have any skills. I can't do anything. Yes, you do. Everybody has some type of skill that they can bring to the table or knowledge, or just like you said, listening is a skill. And then stepping up when somebody says something that, that strikes with you or hits home. And then from there, you never really know where that's going to lead or where it's going to go. You don't have to have a full game plan to start becoming involved and to become active. Wonderful. I'm not much into hope and there's a whole other discussion about why yeah. I don't think hope. There's that Hail Mary but again. Why, we don't want Hail Mary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I am is, is interested in providing faith. And what I call faith in this sense is the courage to move into the unknown. Yeah. You know, and so for us, for example, if, you know, we want to go and make a better world and we want to, you know, become happier and more selfless, just it, it hopefully what I can provide is the faith to, okay, you, you don't know whether you're going to be happier, healthier and, and live a better life just yet, <laughs> but at least provide the faith in it, which is I defined in this sense as the courage to move into the unknown and then see what happens. And, and see the results for yourself, not so and it, for it yourself right and back. for others around you. Yeah. yeah, for yourself and others around you and see where that goes. And it goes right back to adaptability, right back to what we were talking about earlier. It's the ability to mm -hmm. to adapt and to learn and grow and change and, and have the faith that you can do that. Mm -hmm. And then see, see how it all blends together and works and right back again to holistic. Exactly. Every holistic. entrepreneur or, or social reform have had to have that faith. You know, if they've yeah, moved into the unknown, <laughs> you yeah. know, but they've had that had that have had that faith. And um, yeah, and that, that that's well that's probably one of the things that um, 
you know, both you and me can provide people, you know, um, yeah. um, that, and, and, and when I mean by faith, I mean that courage, that courage to move yes. into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to know that it's there and trust with it and go. So that was a really interesting answer. I really liked that. It was informative, but also it leaves it up to, to people to take that on their own. And that's what's so important is to start that journey oh, uh, on your own in your own way in, instead of uh, so directly guided because we're all different. Uh, um, exactly. Yeah. And we all have individual abilities and tendencies, yeah. but also whatever force is not forceful, you know, you know, you so people want to jam down your throat, you know, what you should be doing and, you know, taking, you know, what's a virtual signaling, you know, and that's not the way to do it. You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's, you know. And we can't do that with any animal, with yeah, any exactly. species. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, and, oh, Leaf, this has been so great. kindness, compassion and listening that is going to um, make us change and make others change, not, not, um, not pontification <laughs> and, and, and arrogance about um, what, what people should be doing. That's exactly, that's beautifully said, well said. Leaf, this has been wonderful. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners before we go? No, um, nothing I, I, can, I can think of other than, yeah, I'm um, thanking them for the time. And um, yeah, they got something out of it. One of the other things I think you may have mentioned, I do echo to is I take groups of you know, oh, 10 yes. people into the rainforest. And interesting enough, you know, I take them to the forest and I show them the orangutans and the you know work we're doing and meeting the real conservationists on the ground doing you know, the wonderful, brave work that they're doing. But also um, it's actually been surprising to me Actually, what they say that the most enjoyable thing is I give like a talk every night. I give like an hour talk every night, you know, like a campfire talk about different subjects, about conservation and and humanity and and, and everything else. And and often that that's the most rewarding part of it. So you know they, they go on this you know not only this environmental journey on this personal journey. So yeah, my my only closing remark is well, thank you for listening. But um, yeah, if you do have the means and the time. Um, of course, I'd love to take you into the rainforest to meet these most noble of persons, the orangutans. The orangutans, they are the most noble of persons. That is wonderful. Uh, yes. And again, for more information on that, listeners, just go to the, the links in the show notes. I Yeah, that's an opportunity that we should all take advantage and, and just even, like you said, listening to you speak and, and learn and grow from there. You've been in, incredible. This was an, an incredible chat, Leaf. I'm honored to have chatted with you and, and I hope to keep in touch. Thank you so much. That'd be wonderful. Thanks, Billy. Thank you. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye.